You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up? David Scales here, Surf Splendor. You know that Spy Optic was one of the first brands to support this podcast, right alongside Need Essentials. I know that you probably only purchase sunglasses once a year or so, so maybe you've been on the fence since you've been hearing me talk about them. Well, summer is upon us here north of the equator, and we want to get you off the fence. We're juicing the deal. Use our promo code podcast on spyoptic.com in June, and we'll give you a free spy t-shirt. Just add it to your cart, and our promo code will cancel out the cost. That code also will include a branded Surf Splendor custom sunglass pouch, and most importantly, for orders over 85 bucks, Spy is gifting you a one-year Surf Rider membership. That's three freebies, one of which has karmic points, and uh, you'll love the sunglasses, of course, and become a lifelong convert to Spy, and of course, embark on a relationship with Surf Rider. So spyoptic.com, promo code podcast, see happy. Thanks. I've been to Hawaii in the winter twice. I've been 10 times total, but only twice in the winter. Seems like an unimportant distinction, numerating my visits by season. It also seems pompous to dismiss the eight Hawaiian vacations because they were during the three quarters of the year where the Pacific Ocean swells bypass the North Shore. Those eight trips were lovely. Time was spent with family, hills were hiked, banana bread was eaten, luau's attended. All eight times I left tanned and fattened, but hollow. The Hawaii that had raptured my teenage attention and that had been indistinguishably tangled into my surf consciousness was still unexperienced. Regardless of where one discovers surfing, if they have any access to surf media of any kind, Hawaii is their siren. Hawaii is ubiquitous in surf media, and when any surfer references Hawaii, they are referring to the North Shore of Oahu between the months of November through February. Winter on the North Shore generates surf imagery that fills publications worldwide year-round, and often for decades beyond. The allure of surfers and non-surfers alike emanates from a delicate balance between terror and beauty. The ocean and the land offer moments of sublimity that can abruptly shift into horrendous consequence. Not tourists nor professional surfers are immune to the peril, and the stakes only intensify the seduction. The desire to witness the sublime is obvious, but the drive and willingness to surf the North Shore requires a strange brew of athleticism, bravado, and savvy. These figures are worth examination. Their shared requisite qualifications predisposes them to colorful backstories, harrowing tales of waves survived, and a nomadic existence. Their bodies show evidence of their near misses, and their faces convey their distinct feelings about your presence. As I've aged, and with 30 years of viewing surf imagery on the North Shore, the incidence of seeing fresh perspective of a loved wave has all but vanished. Inversely, my desire to better know the humans who brave those waves has compounded. 
Those souls and I share a desire to glide on the surface of the ocean, but their willingness to risk life in pursuit of a deeper, larger, more intense glide is where our desires diverge. I've spent the past few years on this podcast asking some of the people about their motivations. Did someone in their youth make them feel inferior? What justifications do they offer their kids for risking their lives? Do they believe in divine anointing that allows them impunity? Are they ever satisfied? I remember an image of Dustin Barca with a butterfly, the center of the composition perched on his finger. His left profile is on the right side of the frame. He's nearly smiling, attentive in conversation. I had never seen this Barca. That said, the image also showcased his chiseled shoulder and cauliflowered ear, harbingers that this is in fact the MMA fighter and Monsanto combatant that the surf media usually portrays with a scowl and chipped tooth forward. The figure on the left side of the frame is literally mirrored in Barca's cyborg-styled Oakley sunglasses. He's the far less fit, far more fashionable, world-renowned American painter and filmmaker Julian Schnabel. Schnabel, in his smart frames with yellow-tinted lenses and button-down pajama top, looks to be regaling Barca. And the marvel that is the butterfly daintily resting atop Barca's pointed finger seems unacknowledged by the two, as if all one has to do to convene with a butterfly in Hawaii is outstretch a finger. The image gave me completely fresh insights and left me with questions. Different questions than I had ever asked about Hawaii. The image epitomized what I was unaware was missing from my Southern California exposure to the Hawaii winter. It showcased the dichotomy of strength and grace that I was accustomed to from decades of surf imagery, but it also revealed a level of humanity that had somehow evaded nearly all the imagery that filled my youth. I began following Justin Jay's work and was pleased to find that this human interest themed imagery was not a detour in his photography, but in fact, the focus. I reveled in the scarce images that he published, some on his social media and website, and far too occasionally to Transworld Surf, Stab, and Beach Grit. I eventually reached out to Justin and we met for coffee in his hometown of Carpinteria, California in March of 2015. That conversation was recorded and published as episode 78 of Surf Splendor. Justin explained that he travels from New York each winter to spend a couple of weeks in Hawaii. And while that explained the images that I had seen, I asked him why I hadn't seen even more images. Two weeks in Hawaii every year is enough time to garner hundreds, if not thousands of images. And yet I could only find a few dozen. Justin was vague in his response. And in lieu of a definitive answer, I abandoned my curiosity and just accepted the reality that he's modest and reserved. I rationalized that he's probably not much of a self-promoter and that he's a meticulous curator of the torrent of images that he captures, and that's why he's only shared a rare few. Regardless, I've been left with an unsated lust for Justin's work. In the subsequent years since our meeting in the spring of 2015, print publications have further constricted and I've been relegated to viewing nearly all of Justin's work through the blue light emanating from my computer, or worse, as a two inch by two inch square in my Instagram feed. But then, in September of 2018, Justin emailed to finally address my inquiry. He revealed that 10 years worth of archived photos would not only be shared, 
but would actually be printed on real paper and bound into an actual book. I felt a surge of nostalgia for unseen images that I had hastily reconciled as unworthy, for a revival in print in an ambitious fashion, and most acutely, for a longing to know the demigods who spend their winters challenging the North Shore. I got in like at 9.45 last night. I was supposed to get in an hour earlier, but I decided to stop in New Haven, Connecticut for pizza because I've heard that is the pizza, the new pizza mecca. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. Okay. Are you a pizza aficionado? I, you know what? I'm going to say no. Okay. I'm going to, I'm with a caveat. I feel like pizza, I feel like there's the, the 80% formula with pizza. And I think it's like with sushi too. I feel like 80% of pizza is within this bell curve of like, yeah, it's pretty good. Pizza, it's dough, it's cheese, it's water. 10% is garbage, and 10% is like amazing. And like, I'm a fan of amazing pizza, but like, I'm not the like, I need my New York slice twice mm. a week kind of guy. Interesting. So that's that's uh, my take. Just in the last few minutes that we've been hanging out, you have analogies for everything, <laughs> and they're really um, enlightening. Thank that's you. an excellent analogy. There is the 80% yeah. bell curve thing. Um, what is that? Maybe this is where you're pulling it from. Isn't there like a scientist who studied pea pods and figured out something like the 80, 20? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'm like, maybe I'm uh, like osmosisly brilliant okay. about something. That I'm not even aware. <laughs> I was actually reading. It's funny. My, I have a barber down that's down the block and I feel like there's like kind of a similar thing with, with people too. I feel like 80% of the people are just kind of like, yeah, they're people. And 10% are like particularly hot and 10% are like particularly ugly and uh, <laughs> there is it's kind of the running joke like um, my man Zach he's great I love him but his dad also works in the barbershop and like we refer to him affectionately as uh, Zach is the son of the ugliest man on the Lower East Side like amazing. he's really particularly not good looking so, amazing yeah. with pizza though I feel like the 80% has shifted towards the good like I agree that 80% was always at play but when I was a kid the 80% was on, it was all just kind of a lower quality. Now, like, like Friday pizza day in the cafeteria. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, exactly. And now I feel like across the board, pizza's better than it was when I was a kid. And that's why I wanted to ask you about it being in, obviously, New York City's known for pizza. I was in Boston. They have like a whole pizza thing there. And then everybody's telling me New Haven, Connecticut. So on the drive down, I just swung through and stopped. And it's like, you know what? It's very good. But Boston was very good. New York is very good. Back in California, we have very good options. I feel like it's the same thing with coffee. Like, why is it that, that like coffee only became good in the last de- decade or whatever? It's, like, it's not no that idea. deep, people. It's beans and water. Like, every coffee should be good, you know? When like, we were kids, you couldn't find a good cup of coffee. Yeah. Like, based on our standards of what we would deem as good, it was undrinkable when I was a kid. It was mostly Folgers, like, freeze-dried, yeah. you know? 
I feel like California is a little ahead of the curve though in New York. Like there's you can get good coffee here, but like your base level coffee is still like your deli coffee. I not agree. that great. California, like you go to a gas station or Denny's and you'll be like, damn, this is a tasty cup of tea. You feel yeah. like Harvey Keitel and like, <laughs> Pulp Fiction. It's so true. I stopped at um, the bagel place right down the street, Kozar. Is that what it is? Yeah, Kozar has been there for Kozar. you know 100 years or something. Right there. And the coffee was super mediocre. Yeah. I assumed it would be good because it's like good bagels. They have to have no. good coffee. No. You know, it's fine. I thought New York would be a good sandwich town too. It's not, you know, like you get the like quote unquote deli sandwich, which is like, you know, a half a pound of pastrami on like a little piece of like that's amazing. We kind of own that, but just right. like California, like they're like sourdough with some like lettuce and tomato and some like homemade roast beef. Like you don't really get that here. Yeah. You know. So where where were you from before New York? Um, basically Carpinteria, where we yeah. did our last our last podcast. So yeah. I moved um, literally from my parents' garage to New York City, <laughs> and uh, originally for six months, and now it's been, you know, 20, 20 plus years. I just kind of fell in love with Manhattan, never left. Why'd you do, why were you going to move for the six months? Uh, there was a little bit of boredom, and a girl was involved, and, you know, and a pretty, pretty traditional story. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I kind of, I think what I love most about New York is there's this element of kind of happenstance and serendipity that you don't see in a lot of other places. You know, I mean, I had loved photography growing up as a kid and took it as an elective in high school but never really sat out set mm. out to be a photographer per se and just kind of the world conspired and circumstances and people you meet and you kind of just like I fell into this and you know here I am and I think that's what makes New York City so special you don't necessarily get that in a lot of places you mm. know I mean if you really wanted to do career x in whatever city you live in if you really focus you maybe probably could pull that off but it probably won't happen by accident and right. you get a lot of that in New York City so what um what job were you going to do when you moved out here for the six months? I had, I, like restaurant job? Yeah, I mean, I worked, I, worked in, I worked in restaurants for 10 plus years. I like right. started, you know, busing tables in, in Santa Barbara. And then, you know, I worked and worked and got fired and changed restaurants and <laughs> did the yeah. whole restaurant thing here. And th- actually, it's funny. I used to have uh, a big storefront space that I had in the East Village, like all, pretty much all through the 90s. And it was like an old converted storefront with like an illegal loft space. And there was four bedrooms. And two of my roommates were photo assistants at the time. And I just graduated from school and I was waiting tables. And it basically came down to like, oh, you know, the day rate back then for a photo assistant was, you know, whatever, 150 bucks, whatever it was. And uh, that's basically what they were making as photo assistants, what I was making like serving pasta to jerks at restaurants and I was like you know kind of really got into that as an alternative to waiting tables and kind of grew from there that's awesome I know we covered a lot of your origin story in that past podcast so in the intro to this I'll refer people back to that to catch that so we're not playing too much catch up but there are a couple of stories that are worth revisiting um let's let's start with what is the business model currently for a, a photographer living in New York? What for you specifically? What does it look like? It's it's hard. Um, I mean, I am able to kind of pull it off because I have, you know, some existing clients, and I thankfully have like a you know great wife who has a great career, and we kind of split bills in that way, and was fortunate enough to buy my apartment, you know, 10 years ago. So to some degree, those expenses are locked in. So I mean, all these little factors help help and play. But honestly, I, I at this point, I don't really know what the business model is moving forward. I mean, I have a three year old son, I definitely want him to be creative. But like, once you go to business school, dude, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I honestly, it's it's hard, you know, because I feel like the, 
the model for photography used to be this really unique combination of skill and and trade mixed with art and I think with the technology of today it's kind of becoming less and less of neither you know because anybody can do it to a degree but at the same time there's just this massive dissemination of like white noise of imagery and so I think the art's gotten a little bit kind of rounded on the edges as well mm. and uh, it's just a lot harder I mean I think the writings on the wall that the, the still image is not really the wave of the future you know I mean for me personally as a photographer you know it's it's sad I think if you're a teenager with your first iPhone it's an amazing time for photography you know but I kind of feel like I'm a you know a typesetter and and, and and like all of a sudden like the digital revolution is coming you know I, I don't I think the writing's on the wall that this is not the wave of the future what about you said you have a list of clients I mean, from, do they still need? I mean, they still need work, they right? Do. Are rates for, going down because of all those other things? Or I feel like there's still. I think just it's kind of a metaphor for the nation as a whole. I feel like the the middle class of photography is kind of getting squeezed. I mean, there's still thirty guys that are making a fortune. I mean, there's still a need for very high end stuff. Um, I've been a little bit fortunate because, to a degree, some of my lane is celebrity based, and there's a firewall there of you know publicists and access that not anybody can do um, as opposed to um, I mean I don't really shoot any action photography per se like on the North Shore but I mean if you look at like surf quote-unquote surf photography like that market's just completely bottomed out because you know everybody with a GoPro or like a camera or a $200 waterproof camera can kind of do the same stuff that the legends did 20 years ago you know and magazines are basically getting free content and they're certainly not paying what they used to you know so it's sad in a way but it's you know it's it's changed you got to adapt just like anything else um i don't want to shame any pro surf photographers some of whom are my friends or your friends or whatever um because you can't really pin this on just one person but i wonder how much of that bottoming out is their own fault and I see this with surf, the surf business as a whole, like board builders do this, writers do this, where they essentially work for free. You know, it's like they might be super talented and they have a lot of expense wrapped up in this thing, but they just want to be friends with the industry. They want to be friends with magazines or the pro surfers or whatever. And a great way to get in is to show up and work harder than anybody else for free. But then they never learn to make that transition to actually charge for their work. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, that that's entirely true and part of the problem with that statement is that i don't think there is that transition like once you know pretty much the first rate that you charge for a client it's kind of sets you in for you know whether it's free or a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks it's rare that it's not like at a traditional job where you get a promotion and you get a raise like it's pretty much you're kind of that's that's your rate and so if you come out of the gate saying oh i'll give you free content like they're never going to be like oh i loved your last free content here's a thousand dollars instead right. you know it doesn't it's like kind of the race to the bottom but i mean i can't point too too many fingers at, at those people or even you know, i've been guilty of that myself and that's kind of the curse of doing what you love and trying to make a career out of it is like you know no one's gonna babysit or like fix a car for free because it's that's what you get paid to do that but like if you're getting paid to travel around the world and like take pictures of surfing when you have a love of surfing it's kind of easier to be like well okay you know at least i'm getting to do what i want to do yeah. you know so but it keeps the industry cottage in a way that i don't think is beneficial for everybody like you could have 
people making a living and a sustainable living, raising kids, sending them to college, and then building the industry larger, you know, uh, that we would all benefit from. I'm not saying large is just good, but those people end up, once they become, you know, skilled photographers, they take jobs outside of the surfing industry. And then eventually you talk to them five years, 10 years later, and you realize they're really not shooting surfing at all anymore because there was, so it'd be amazing if you could make surfing profitable, which we can. Yeah. It's just that cottage thing is true in all aspects of the sport. You know? I mean, I think it's, there's been a little bit of slump, not just in the, the philosophy of what people are charging, but also just like the dollars and cents coming in out of the industry. I mean, I mean yeah. with everything you've been talking about on the podcast, you know, extensively in the last six months, I think with the Olympics and wave pools. And I mean, there's definitely some new avenues for revenue to kind of be streaming into the surf industry, like how that's all going to play out and whether that's going to translate into this, you know, second coming for surf photography. But I don't know. That's, you know, TBD. But but I think that's that's where it's incumbent upon guys like you and I and whoever else to now recognize, look, we're at a precipice where this could blow up thanks to Kelly with the wave pools and like whatever else. And now we need to charge appropriately. So when ESPN or some kind of fringe surf media comes in asking for work, figure out what do football photographers charge you or whatever else they're used. Because ESPN's used to paying those rates and then charge that. I mean, I think the, I guess the key to that is getting those large you know, behemoth industries to come in yeah. and start being a part of the industry as opposed to trying to get, you know, Volcom to raise your rates because that's not going to happen. Right, you know? right, right. Well, um, you said that part of your lane is celebrity. How did you get into that lane? Um, it kind of grew, um, I guess, ultimately, one of my first, you know, big breaks, if you will, is I, uh, used to work as a personal photographer to Sean Combs for 10 years on and off. And so cross paths with, you know, all sorts of people, mostly in the music industry. I mean, and that was like another side note of another industry that's had dramatic changes in the last 10 years, you know, but basically before the music business went out of business, um, I used to shoot a lot of hip hop stuff and I traveled, did tour projects with Outkast and with The Strokes and kind of, I think once you get some celebrity stuff in your book, you either A, have access to those people and build relationships or B, a lot of the gatekeepers for celebrity stuff tend to be um, not necessarily creatives, but publicists. And it's an interesting dynamic because they're kind of just looking for the safest picture that's going to save their job as opposed to like an art director who wants to like shoot for the moon and make amazing, you know, iconic imagery. So if you have a book filled with not to say that my stuff is just average, but if you have just you know average pictures of lots of different celebrities, that actually kind of bodes better for you than having like amazing pictures of your next door neighbor, you know. And so there's definitely like a little bit of a kind of uh, political access to that kind of stuff. And you know, once you shoot a few covers, you kind of like get into that world, and you have a little bit of a, a body to fall back on, and it kind of tends to snowball a little bit. I would love to hear more about your time with Sean Combs. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, it, it's it was a, a lot a lot of time I spent with him. I got traveled overseas with him a lot, and I got to meet a lot of just absolutely incredible people. Um, 
I guess the long and short of it is a lot of a lot of respect for that guy. You know, everybody has an opinion about him, um, but for better or worse, he's you know he's completely self-made. There's no you know puppet master behind him. He is a, a beast, and he works hard, and he's incredibly smart, and he's incredibly charismatic. And I think what what people kind of know and recognize him for is him being an artist. You know, a rap, you know, a rapper. And I think that kind of happened almost accident accidentally for him you know like after biggie after biggie passed away and he you know had the hit song with the sting sample and you know blah blah everyone knows that story but he you know he really knows his lane in terms of like he has a massive amount of respect for you know jay-z and people that are i think probably more talented at that but i think his major talent and he's just you know kind of one of a kind of that he's just like he's just a great leader you know and whether that's as a producer or as a business uh, you know, executive. He just everybody in his sphere just wants like you just you want to follow him into battle because you feel like he knows something that you don't, and you want to be a part of it. And mm. it's just he's a great team leader, really smart guy. Fascinating. Uh, have you maintained any contact with him in recent years? Um, I have. I talked to him. Um, unfortunately, it's actually a very sad story. His um, girlfriend and mother of his three children just passed away unexpectedly about two weeks ago. Um, this is really really sad and so I was actually going through some of the archives just picking out some images to send them for for the um, memorial and uh, just really it's in interesting just having these just incredibly intimate pictures of people that you don't necessarily keep in contact anymore like um, I was there at the hospital the day Kim's twin baby girls were born and I've known Christian his son since he's like one years old and you know now he's an Instagram star and he's a rapper or whatever but you know it's just, it's really interesting just to see the transformation and have these really incredibly intimate moments that I captured like I, I saw this one picture it kind of took my breath away it was a picture of of Puffy and Kim um, surprising Puff's mom and letting her know that they were pregnant and they had a picture of the sonogram of the twin baby girls and it was like a picture of like Puff and his mom and Kim and a sonogram with the twin girls and you know those girls are now 10 years old and Kim just passed away like it's just it's really it's kind of cool to have those moments memorialized for other people you know I think even on the North Shore that's what I strive to do what's what makes me the happiest is when I'm able to just kind of capture these moments that will just be gone in the ether and never be visited again and then just have them kind of memorialized for the benefit of that person you know it means a lot to me I saw the photo you posted of Kim on Instagram when she passed away and um, yeah it made me view your work in a different light um, not better or worse but like a more kind of serious light or sincere or something where I was like oh shoot like this now becomes real that this person has passed away and you having access into their life like first of all it takes a lot of trust for them to even allow a photographer in but then do they uh, require to see everything before you ever publish it or share it, or are those photos strictly for them for their own usage? It, it like, all it all depends. Like that 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 sitting in particular. Like I happened to be um, at the hospital the day that the twins were born, just because of my relationship with Puff, and I wanted to be there, and you know he wanted it memorialized. And then um, it was right at the peak of when. Uh, you know, like J-Lo and Gwen Stefani and all these people were doing these 
huge photo shoots to sell to People magazine or whatever. And, and you know, Puff has kind of had a lot of, he had a lot of heat right at that point and people were interested in him. And I was, he, we basically were like, people are gonna be standing in the bushes trying to get pictures of these kids anyway. Like, why don't we, you make some money at it instead? And I had a relationship at, um, at Getty at the time. So I pitched this project. And so I actually, we did that shoot specifically with the intent of, of syndicating it. And got I got a piece of that. Um, so that was, everything was, you know, pre-approved and that was specifically, you know, for, for public consumption. Some of the other stuff, um, in general, I, my whole access on to him had always been predicated on the trust that I wouldn't right. really put anything out that he wasn't comfortable with. And I have never really broken that trust. The irony is that it was such a strange time, uh, to be documenting because it was really pre-social media and it's almost like the whole mindset and philosophy is switched i mean i have like amazing shots of him um like with johnny cochran and ben brothman his lawyers like the night before he was going to testify for his weapons trial and there's like a picture of the new york post on their desk with him on the cover like you know just crazy iconic photos that kind of just never really been seen and they're sitting in a box you know because of that that trust issue and then you cut to today and like every celebrity him included is like doing selfies on the toilet and narrating their life and it's like the whole philosophy of privacy is almost completely flipped so it's it was a strange time to to document him like that because almost a massive majority of those photos have really never been seen you know but as a testament to the art of photography like the images that you're talking about are so much more powerful and impactful than the selfie that he's shooting on the toilet. You know what I mean? No, true. And, and it's interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, I, I would like to think that at some point there is going to be an appetite for those photos. And I think, so. and I think they'll, they'll, they'll maintain or maybe even grow in their significance because, mm -hmm. you know, when I first started working with him, working with, with, with Sean, I, you know, pretty much said to him, I was like, I really don't have any interest of taking pictures of you drinking champagne in a club. That's what everyone thinks you do. That's what they've seen in the videos. It's not, you know, it's not what I'm interested in. And, you know, he was really on the same page with me. And like my favorite photos are literally like him with his children or, you know, I just try to put myself in the perspective of being like a 12 year old fan, whether it's like surf or music or whatever. Like, I want to see like, what does Mick Jagger's backstage look like, you know, or what is what do the Sex Pistols look like when they're on their bus, or, you know, like, what does Puffy's closet look like, you know, and, and, and that's what I've tried to, to capture, and I think those moments, just because they're kind of personal and have a historical element, like, hopefully they'll maintain or grow in their value. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInJobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I think I think they will. I, you're right. It is interesting to see how this all shakes out because I've you've heard me say probably on the podcast that it's like I've gotten to know Kelly Slater better through Instagram than I ever did through the magazines growing up. So his curated thing was enough to get me interested in him, like his curated image through professional photography in the magazine. But then his Instagram, like being able to see, like I said, what the floor of his car looks like when the camera's swinging around or his home or whatever, that makes me connect with him in a new way. But there's a higher art. There's, I think there will, moving forward, there might be two lanes. There's kind of just like the trashy reality TV version of someone's life, which is Instagram. And then there is kind of a respectful art curated version of their life, which could be the portrait photography or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean, I don't want to, you know, place any, uh, you know, value assessment of how good or bad, you know, my approach to artistically taking those photos are. But if nothing else, just the whole Instagram generation in one sense, you're getting this very intimate look at a person's life, but it's through the prism of their eyes, totally. and that's a key difference. And then sometimes, if it's, you know, if you watch a documentary on someone's life, the difference between people who make documentaries about themselves versus mm-hmm. people who, when you have an outside person with a with a vision and perspective of trying to tell a story, you're going to tell a much different story than if that person's telling it themselves. So. I agree. You were talking about your approach. Um, with Sean Combs with photography. What what's your approach when you go to Hawaii? You're going next week, is it or going, Saturday? I'm going on Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I, there's I feel like there's a lot of similarities between the skill set of shooting, you know, my world and the hip hop and shooting on the North Shore in the sense that I try and kind of take a week's worth of time or a day's worth of time and d- distill it into a couple key figures, you know, key key elements that kind of represent larger than that and then there's also a degree of sociology involved and psychology and like I pretty much you go into the North Shore and it's like that it's, it's a lot it's the same thing as walking into a room with a celebrity or walking into the you know Volcom house it's like you have to show respect make your presence known you know whether that's shaking someone's hand and being respectful or sometimes it's just eye contact like I know you're here you know I'm here like I'm cool and then just like back away and let them forget about you and that and learning how to do that is it can be a hard skill but it's really it's super valuable and so a lot of the same skill sets that I learned traveling with with hip-hop artists like apply very aptly to shooting on the North Shore what what exactly um, does the trip look like for you do you have contacts lined up in advance and appointments set up or um, 
people that you're going to be staying with? Are there any brands that are expecting any work out of you? You know, this year in particular, and I don't know if this speaks to the industry or what, like I'm, I'm really have don't much going, I don't have much going on this year, kind of in a good way. Like I have a place to stay, I have my nuts and bolts all settled, but um, I don't really have any concrete plans or shoots lined up. And I'm kind of just going to, this might just be a, a swan song for me going over there. I'm not sure how many more years I'm going to be going. It's kind of like wrapping up this 10 year book project. And, uh, so we'll see. I mean, who knows? I thought after five years, I pretty much said the same thing. So talk to me in another 10, maybe I'll still keep going every year, but I think this year I'm just going to really soak it in, try and take a few pictures and really like just kind of do a little victory lap of like all the amazing moment memories that I've been able to kind of have on the North Shore. Are you saying that because you um, are done with the North Shore? Like you've kind of done what you need to do there and you just feel ready to move on? Um, a little bit of that. I mean, which isn't to be reductive that like, oh, I've captured it. And, no, and, no, and no. now that there's nothing else to view. It's just that I, I, I'm really, I think I got really lucky when I started this book and having a documented this 10-year decade this 10 years of on the north shore there's just been so many change people have passed away um the industry's changed a lot the culture has changed a lot the uh nationalities of the top five athletes have changed a lot there's just it's been a real transformative time you know the 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 vibe over there has changed a lot and i think it's just it's kind of a nice bookend to kind of put to the end of this era in terms of me personally documenting it. I mean, the same love that brought me over there to want to shoot in the first place, I definitely still have that. And, okay. you know, moving forward, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe next year I'll go with my wife and son and we'll just make a kind of family vacation and get to experience the surf circus during the Pipe Masters from a different perspective. But, you know, in terms of me, like, just begging and borrowing and stealing and trying to make time and trying to find client it's just like it's 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 a real struggle and so i don't know uh, you know i just i just kind of want to put a bow on this project and then see where it leads me from there tell me about that very first trip to hawaii that was that was ex it was exciting i mean i i was definitely flying flying without a net on that one um, really I, well originally it had started as a editorial project for a magazine and i'd always wanted to you know, shoot the North Shore. I'd been to Hawaii as a kid, but I'd never really, you know, been in a surf surf sphere to the North Shore. And I wanted to just kind of document it in a way that I'd never really seen before, you know, like, and I definitely wanted those pictures to be shown in a magazine. I didn't want to shoot, I didn't want to do the project for an action sports magazine. I wanted to do it, bring it to, you know, different a different audience and so I had a magazine lined up and this was in the fall of 2008 like right when the world was about to end and basically just the magazine folded one morning and so the project was just dead and so I was like you know what I'm gonna go do this anyway and I pretty much had two contacts I had um, Troy Eckert at Volcom had been really great to me and said he would introduce me to some people and Pat O'Connell had been a terrific ambassador and so pretty much those are literally the only two people that I knew and kind of landed on the North Shore and um, stayed at this weird hotel in Laie that's not even there anymore and hmm. realized it was like, you know, I thought it was like a five-minute drive. It was like a 40-minute drive. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's far. You know, like, whatever, you live and learn. But it, it was it was an interesting first trip, you know, and just kind of leveraging those relationships and, like, one meeting one person meets to re leads to meeting to this person. And, um, you know, 10 years later, I'm still, like, inspired by that place. Uh, were there any iconic images in your not iconic to the world, but maybe just for yourself that like really served as optimistic and gave you 
know? Yeah, I, I feel like, I think looking back on those images, I, I think I really hit my stride on that project like two, three years in. I mean, yeah. that first year, I, me personally, I was inspired just because I was like, oh my God, I just like hung out with Rob Machado and Pat O'Connell for the day. I was more kind of like, you know, surf starstruck if nothing else but looking back at the photos they're not really as like evocative as some of the, the later stuff but I mean I had some funny like for instance my literally like I think my first or second day there um, I met Pat O'Connell was at his house and he's like oh yeah we're, we're going to dinner tonight if you want to you know come come meet me it's at this place called Halle Eva Joe's and I was like okay well is it on the map you know, it's so <laughs> fresh that I knew nothing right and so I was hanging out with um, basically Pat and um, Blair Marlin who's like a you know He's in sports management, and they're both super nice, really nice to me. And so I roll up to the parking lot, Haliva Joe's, and Blair had his head shaved at the time. And so I see this figure, like, about to walk into Haliva Joe's. I'm like, oh, my God, I actually ran into someone I know. So I run up, and I give him a big pat on the back. I'm like, hey, good to see you. And I turn around, and it's Kelly Slater. No way. <laughs> yeah. So my first day there, I just, like, basically, you know, back slapped Kelly Slater, and he kind of turned around and was like, do I know you? And then, of course, he ends up, we're all sitting at the same table, so okay. it was very awkward, and, but funny, and he was cool about it, but it was just like, it's like a real metaphor for like my first day on the North Shore. It was a full howling move. That know? is so, so funny, yeah. dude. Um, you talked about, well, you, you've kind of referenced this book a number of times. Tell me about the book. What is the book? Ten Years on the North Shore is so the concept? The, the title of the book is um, it's H-I-1-K, and it's basically 10 years, 1,000 moments on the 1, North Shore. Moments. And so it's going to have um, a lot of pictures, a lot of personal captions from me. And um, last year I did about 15 to 20 interviews with people just kind of asking them what the North Shore means, how has the North Shore changed, why is the North Shore special, why is it still relevant, and uh, it's pretty fortunate to be able to get you know, a pretty broad range of, of answers from a broad range of people, from, from uh, you know, Eddie Rothman to Shane Dorian, um, Kelly I didn't get, but I'm going to get that this year for sure. Um, but so yeah, it'll it'll have uh, it'll have quotes, it'll have captions, and a lot of photos, and uh, we're working on somebody really special to get a forward to to write some stuff right now. So sweet, yeah. Um, uh, so does it have a thousand? pictures a thousand images in it it we're still in the design page okay. right now we we have um we have some space limitations in terms of uh paper budget yeah um i originally really was trying to make it a thousand images i think we might kind of play on a thousand moments a little bit more Got um it's just, it's still tbd i mean i really i wanted it to have a lot of images just because um each of the images kind of might mean something different to to different people and i just wanted to feel like like a like a combination of a scrapbook slash yearbook slash kind of tribute to a moment in time on the North Shore and mm. and, and it's really a reflection of not just um, who is important per se but it's also it's really just a personal reflection of like who I've been fortunate enough to cross paths with which for the most part has been you know pretty pretty exhaustive been really fortunate to get a lot of people in this book some of them I don't know you know but yeah. I've been able to still snag a really intimate mo moment or an intimate photo of them so I just I really want to just have it include as many people as possible from you know CT guys to like local people to photographers to you know just everybody that's really part of that culture in, in, in the winter um the most cliche, you know, f line ever is just like a picture paints a thousand words. But I really do feel like with a lot of the images I've seen of yours, 
there's a story behind it. It's like I see it like the success of your portrait photography is that it captures a story in an image. And so I was almost hoping that this book includes your story about where that image came it will. from. It'll have okay. it's that's one of the one of the issues we're having right now is trying to like cull down my captions just because yeah. I, I think it's really important. Um, some of the photos kind of speak for themselves, but some of them are interesting photo, maybe not graphically the most, you know, iconic photo, but it coupled with the story behind it, it just adds a whole new layer and, and, and element to it. And so there's definitely a lot of like um, kind of personal input and captions that I'll be adding to the stuff. Yeah. Um, the adding the layer thing is smart. Like, because I, as I went through those thoughts, I was like, well, you could almost distract from the photo by giving information. It's better just to leave it in my imagination. But if you can add a layer, then that would be good. And that's a, one of the conversations we had with with the designers is is whether we're going to have um, you know a legend in the back of like number right. number one, two, three, four. And you'd be like, oh, who is that? And then you look in the back. And I think we decided, you know, practically speaking, it just it, it was too much of an undertaking. And but also it just kind of it adds a little element of like mystery to it. It's like people that know, if you know who it is, you know who it is. Otherwise, it's just kind of like it's just. A piece of this puzzle that that adds to the mystery of, of 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 this book, you know. Yeah. So, but we'll see. But I mean, I definitely I've been meeting with a lot of people and seeking advice and trying to make sure that this is the strongest project as possible. And uh, Glenn Friedman's like a friend of mine, an amazing photographer. Um, he, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he, I mean, shot pretty much the Dogtown and Z Boys, like that whole culture, and then bled into hip hop and he he's had a string of amazing amazing books and so I met with him and I showed him some of the photos and talked to the concept and his his advice was was you know he gave great sage advice just saying that it's your it's your your words are going to make make these pictures come alive okay you know so he take his advice then. yeah he he was definitely <laughs> he was like it's add, add your captions you know even if whether it's two sentences or 600 words like bring those pictures to life you know um, you're good with words too, so that's good. Um, who is Indoic, and that's who your partner? Is? Yeah, Indoic. Um, they are originally I got in, in introduced to them. They put out a really amazing book last year called Surf Shacks, and um, I have a bungalow out in Rockaway that I share with some friends, and they included our Surf Shack in their book. And we were in pretty uh, esteemed company, you know, in the book. Like there was like Cassia Metter and and then Mikey De Temple and like the whole Point Dune gang. Um, it's kind of ironic. Like I think our "quote unquote" shack is really the only shack in the book. Like the other ones are these like amazing like Malibu beach homes yeah, and these yeah. like incredibly like post uh, the incredibly you know modern appointed Montauk surf house or whatever. But um, so yeah, so I got introduced to those guys, and um, this is going to be their first their first input. The imprint they actually designed that book, but did not publish it. It was a German publisher. Um, so our book, uh, HI1K, is going to be their first imprint, and so we're putting wow. it out together. Wow. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. And who are they? I mean, they're doing more than just books, obviously. Yeah, they. Um, in terms of the brand, they, um, um, Matt and Ron, they, they have a design shop in Venice. So, I mean, they work with all sorts of clients from local businesses to Toyota. I mean, so they do a lot of, a lot of like, true design work outside of the surf world. And then Indoic is kind of like their you know, pet brand that they've done some really amazing stuff. Like they did um, like a, I guess, a 
soft cover magazine slash zine about Venice last year, and then they just did one on St. Augustine that came out. And it's like, I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's it's, it's you know tabloid size and like maybe 40, 50 pages, and it's just like beautiful photography and you know just they they do great design work, great content, and just super super stoked to get to work with those guys because I definitely needed another element in terms of like I think I have a pretty good eye as a photographer but design wise like you know I'm average I'm not going to design my own book and so to have uh, you know a team together of people that just do like phenomenal design work it just it's, it makes me much more confident in this project I was so glad to see that you partnered with them because um, kind of growing up in Orange County where there is the surf industrial complex that's all I'm focused on it I was focused on as a kid and then occasionally I'll see something come in out of left field um, that wasn't really born in that industrial complex and it might leave an imprint it might not with them it's kind of like I saw something I was like oh that's really good quality whatever it was that I saw was awesome it might have been the surf shack series before they made the book yeah it was I saw it, a few it started it was uh, it was an internet basically they yeah. they created all the content for their website originally right and then I think they must have got basically got a book deal and then the book the publisher let them to actually design the book as well got it so I saw a few of those and I was like oh that's high quality and then but I'm already focused on these things over here so I ignore it and then a few months later another one comes through and I go oh that's really good quality and then over a course of a year or two I was like who are these people they're killing it like yeah. they're getting killer interviews with interesting people really great content and then the design thing was always something that stood out for me too um, and then I got that Surf Shack's book I think for Christmas last year maybe loved it and then uh, sure enough like I said, I was psyched to see that you're the next one on the list. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really excited. It'll be a little different, a different experience because that's with, like I said, with a German publisher, and they have pretty broad-based distribution. They do yeah. a lot of interior design books. Yeah. Um, we're probably at this point going to be selling most of our stuff um, either through online channels or book signings or through Indoic's you know website or my my web presence. So it'll be a little bit more intimate in that sense, and we're going to keep the print run relatively small. Like I, w- I want to sell out. And if it sells out and there's still demand for more, like that's terrific. We can discuss maybe a second printing, whatever. But I don't, I don't want to be the guy selling like mixtapes out of his trunk for right. the next five years. Right. <laughs> like, I, I think that you could kind of gauge what your guys, um, you know, social influence is and kind of base numbers on that. I think you can do it. Pretty yeah. Accurate. So we're. I think we're going to do. We're going to launch um, a, a, a pre-sales site. Probably Perfect. in the next couple of weeks, um, and we'll have that'll give us a pretty good indication of, of where we stand in, yeah. in terms of demand. Um, you know, there's a um, a mark that we have to make in terms of dollar amounts, and hopefully we'll you know come close to that. If it's ten percent of that after three weeks, then you know we'll have to reconsider. But right. I mean, the upside is that I think for something like this, there's there'll be a lot of um, back end revenue that we can get off the book. Like we're intentionally not having any underwriters for the book because we didn't want any logo or anything other than you know my name and in Doix brand. But you know I didn't want like sponsored by Red Bull splashed right. all over the back just because we kind of figured you know six months or six years from now like where the money came from to publish this book is going to be superfluous. But like that brand is going to be attached to us like forever essentially. Um, but on the tail side. Um, we're gonna do like a book tour and book signings, Perfect. and there's a lot of opportunities for for branding and, and revenue good. on that end. Good, good. Um, let's talk about some of the technical minutia. 
what do you shoot on and have you kind of been shooting on the same equipment throughout the 10 years? I really have. I, I like to keep it really simple. Um, I, you know, I grew up when I first got into the you know professional photography industry, quote unquote, it was mostly as a photo assistant and I kind of get, you get intimidated by just so much equipment and it mm-hmm. takes so much just people and gaffers and, and, and you know, and I, I learned all that stuff and I shot a lot in the studio and then when I went to the North Shore, I mean, really more just financially I didn't have a budget to, to operate on that level but I found just throughout my career like whether it's traveling you know with with puffier outcasts or different bands and it's just like it changes the dynamic you know like even you know when you uh, when you came here this morning to set up your computer and it's like we want to just like kind of start the conversation right away yeah. but but you know you have to take a take a breather and set stuff up and I kind of feel in that, that same way that the times when I've like okay so I'm gonna set up this light and we're gonna do that then it just becomes like quote unquote a photo shoot rather totally. than me like just having like a authentic moment with this person so um, pretty much when I when I shoot on the North Shore I completely self-sufficient I have a one backpack usually you know one body my favorite lens I have a prime 35 lens is like my favorite kind of storytelling lens it's like not too wide to look wide but it's not telephoto you gotta kind of get in close and get the story so it's I'm definitely not lurking in bushes and you know doing kind of paparazzi stuff um, and then if I'm shooting like a proper actual you know portrait I'll maybe I'll use a little longer lens but nuts and bolts wise it's, there's there's no magic formula it's really simple stuff what's what body are you using um, I have like a, a Nikon D810 which is that I've been using it's funny it's kind of gone full circle I grew up shooting Nikon film film cameras and when the digital revolution first happened they kind of Nikon kind of dropped the ball like they were kind of late to market in terms of developing like a really good sensor and so I switched to Canon and uh, I don't know I'm back I'm back to Nikon cool yeah Um, all your photos have a certain color palette how much of that is done just through the act the equipment you're shooting on versus in post Um, most of it's I think it's a combination of of the unique lighting in Hawaii on the North oh, Shore okay. and and in post. I mean, I I do I think I got like I said, I like to characterize my post is is very um, specific, but not too overdone. Like I don't do a ton of stuff, and I definitely don't retouch in terms of you know moving moving faces or using multiple plates or. I usually don't really even take out, you know, blemishes or stuff like that. But it's mostly just for color. Mm-hmm. Like I like I have a kind of very specific um, vision for a color pass that I like to use for that project. But other than that, I like to keep it pretty natural. What is your vision for that? I mean, how do how would you describe it, or what feel are you trying to achieve? I just like to make it just like like kind of. I want to make it feel like a like a Polaroid from the '70s. Like it has like a very like soft pastel tone to it there's a lot of cyan a lot of a lot of cyan in the shadows and there's a little bit of like um kind of mustard yellow in the highlights and i play with that and uh work with crushing some of the blacks and that's pretty much it yeah it is subtle but it's almost um it's a branding you know it's like you see a surfboard with that black strip down the center of it and you're like oh that's a slater's design that's yeah. kind of how it is no that's good i'm glad it, i'm glad it shines through i mean it doesn't i don't do the same thing for every project yeah, but yeah. um you know i just on a separate note it's kind of angered like i shot a cover story last summer of uh, lauren bush and she is actually the granddaughter of, of hw just passed away but she's married to david lauren who's the son of ralph lauren so they're you know kind i didn't of, know that yeah so they're kind of a you know they're a power couple and so i shot uh, a cover story a fashion story with her and then got to shoot the whole family and it was it was a fun story but we shot it at 
at sunset in Montauk, like in front of their house and backlit and gorgeous and beautiful. And then like after the photos were in, like the editor of the magazine decides that they, oh, I think it should be a black and white story. I'm like, who does that? Who shoots what? like at sunset and changes it to black and white? And even if you did want to, like I would have, you have to expose things differently. Just like, it looked flat and. So they ran it as black and white? They ran it as black and white. Oh my god! I mean, gosh. I could have, you know, I. I at the Not end of the day, fighting, like yeah. I could have flexed my muscles, and I was like, you know, this is not the hill that I want to die on. But yeah, it just it, it rubbed me the wrong way. That's ridiculous, dude. Um, I was going to ask you actually earlier. I went around it, but um, how's your experience been working for the surf world? You know, like when you have done projects in the surf world, how has that been versus music and entertainment? But it sounds like you have issues everywhere you work. You know, There's bosses a, are bosses. Bosses are bosses. Are bosses. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is it's not. At the end of the day, I you know I think there's the the upper one percent of the fashion world has like the clout and the ego to be able to you know say this is my vision and this and you know and like pull and at the end of the day like people are paying me to take pictures right. or if they are if if they're paying me to right. take pictures. To some degree, it's their fault. They got to kind of have some understanding of what I do, you know. So if they're hiring me for something completely outside my wheelhouse, then it's on them. But for the most part, it's like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll put my two cents worth in. But at the end of the day, if you're paying for it, you know, yeah, it has my name on it. But, you know, you got to be flexible. And I've never been that guy that's been like, I'm an artist. This has to be, you know, you can kind of read people when they offer you the job, whether they're going to be a pain in the ass. And I turn down stuff sometimes just because I was like, this sounds like, a nightmare. I don't think I'm the right person for this. Right. Really. Right. Um, I asked you earlier, kind of, what's the business model look like? And then you just mentioned that photo shoot that you did. How much of it is um, photo features for magazines versus? Sh- I mean, do you shoot product at all? Is it all lifestyles? Uh, mostly, I would say a combination of of lifestyles, um, editorial projects, and then I have. A studio client that's been very good to me. I've been shooting for Macy's a lot, and that's like nuts and bolts in the studio. Um, you know, shooting stuff for e-commerce, and it's like they're they're great, and they have they have like a no jerk policy. They're kind of like, listen, cool. if you don't want to do this, there's 30 people behind you that would love to do it. Times are tough, and uh, so everybody on set is wonderful. The art director is like one of my best friends. She actually cool. lives out in Rockaway, so I'm like actual friends with her. So we get to like hang out on set, work. I can walk to work and be home with my son at four o'clock. So Good. extremely fortunate for, cool. to have a kind of a bread and butter job like that. Um, we talked a bit about this last time, but it's a new conversation now just because so much has changed in recent years. What's your view on Instagram or just using Instagram as a tool, I guess, because so many photographers have built their career on it and you seem to only post sparingly. I mean, maybe once a week at most and you don't really seem to be using it as a tool to like build your brand it's more just kind of like to showcase an occasional yeah i guess and i'm i guess it's this combination of of maybe a little bit of stubbornness a little bit of laziness <laughs> a little bit of of chagrin like I, i'm not i think it was a lot more optimistic about the the instagram revolution than i am today um I don't know. I think it's just it's some people have really made it work for themselves. Like I, for instance, like I went um, on this trip with a friend of mine last summer, 
um, we did this photo shoot in Norway, and there was uh, a Fuji ambassador, I guess, that came with us. Um, and he, you know, they had loaned him this really expensive camera. And he, he, I don't know what exactly his relationship with Fuji is, but he's like an Instagram quote unquote influencer and has, I don't know, 600,000 followers or whatever. And I looked at his work, and it's like, it's, it's nice, it's, it's correct, you know, it's, it's in focus, it's beautiful, but it's just like after the fourth one, I'm just like, I'm not inspired, you know, and I, it's just such a strange currency to, it, it just, I don't know, it seems really crass that you just click on someone's profile and you look at that one number with a K before it or K after it and like that kind of defines their value and uh, I don't know, I think it'd be interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple of years because I know the brands are, there was like a frenzy for a while for like these influencers and getting people, you know, to shoot these shoots that aren't necessarily amazing photographers, but they have this follower. But like, it's really, I think people are starting to really question the return on, on investment on these influencers, you know? Like, do I really care that there's a 12 year old in Prague that like sees this photo? Like how, what is, is that valuable to a, to a brand? I don't know, we'll see, you know? Yeah, is it because, I mean, maybe you're having that experience when you look at their work because it's on your phone and it's this small square that you're looking at and yeah. it's not a great showcase of their work and it's know? a feed too so yeah, it's exactly. like it's gone it's gone instantly right. and then you know even and I mean I keep my following for the people that I follow like relatively relatively small and my following is you know relatively small compared to a lot of people but at the same time like it speaks to the people that I'm trying to reach with this project like yeah. I'll post something and like Kelly Slater or Kelly Slater will see it or McFanning will see it or you'll see it you know like people that I actually like want to speak to are, are seeing this um, you know and it's interesting too because so that photo that I posted of, of Kim Porter and, and, and Puffy's kids of she passed away like I must have made it to their main page or something because I got like almost 8,000 likes on that which is nowhere near anything that I would never ever normally get and um, you know I got like whatever a bunch of new followers but it's like I don't think a bunch of like teenagers that follow Puffy are necessarily going to care like I'm interesting to see how long those followers stay in my feed because that's not really I don't speak to them you know and so it's just it's an interesting time I guess what I would argue is there are more people out there who actually would value your work and want to see it than currently know you exist and so how else can you get a hold of them? How else can you show your work to those people? Yeah, and then part of me kind of feels like at this point, um, I mean, once I have the actual product of this, you know, the HI1K book to sell, then I'll have a different person. But, but on, on a Wednesday afternoon, like, I don't really care if, like, everybody in the world sees these photos. Like, you know, I'm sure it'd be nice, and I'm proud of them, and I'd like people to see it, but, like, it's just this strange phenomenon of, like, like what we talked about before with privacy. It used to be, remember when you were in junior high, there'd be girls who had a diary and the diary had like a little like silly lock on the mm-hmm. side lest anybody ever like get a hold of it and read your most intimate thoughts. It's went from that to like the complete opposite that if like if you don't post your like coffee and your entree and your selfie every day and people don't respond to that, like you don't exist. Like it's, yeah. I don't like that paradigm, you know, and I, and I realize as a photographer that that's part of my job and that that paradigm is just reality and I have to play into that, but I don't love it. I really don't. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you um, I, because I certainly don't post everything about my life. Like I, intentionally have portions of my life that never ever get posted you know but i still want to advocate for it for you and your business you know because like i said 
it's great that you don't care if a million people ever see it, but I think that there are a million people who want to see it. Yeah. So it's almost like do it for them. And that's I think that Kim Porter example is a great one because it validates it. It's like, oh, there were 8,000 people out there. They just weren't following you. Yeah. It had to go through a different channel for them to even see it, you know? But, you know, at the end of the day, I guess it, that's what it comes back to. This is It's a great time for photography for someone who just wants to take pictures. There's an amateur, is, yeah. um, you know, a teenager with an iPhone. You really can document your life or document your dog or your friends or whatever's important to you and get it out there to the world. And that's never really been able to happen in civilization before right. to this scale. However, like I'm a professional photographer. Like I put a roof over my family's head with paying bills, taking photos. And so having a hundred thousand followers is not necessarily like monetarily valuable. I'd rather have like five badass art directors that see my work than like a teenager in Brazil. Right. You know, but yeah. Um, total, total side topic. What's that image on the wall behind the TV? Um, that is um, my friend Spencer Tunick, who is one of uh, my oldest friends in New York. We used to live together um, in this storefront that I had in the East Village, and he's kind of made a name for himself. He is known for taking these large-scale nude installations all over the world, um, and we've done them. I've traveled all over the world with him. That one's actually taking a Burning Man. I wasn't there for that. Um, he gave me that as our, our wedding gift. But I traveled to um, we went to Mexico City. We did uh, 19,000 naked people in the Zocalo in Mexico City. We did uh, 5,000 people naked inside the Sydney Opera House. Um, he was commissioned by Greenpeace um, to raise awareness for global climate change. We did an installation on a glacier in Switzerland with a couple hundred people. So I've been seen all his work world. before. Yeah, he's 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 one of my oldest friends. He's a really he's a funny dude. I didn't recognize his name, and maybe the reason why I've seen his work is you've posted about it years ago or something because it's been a while Perhaps. since I've seen any of it yeah it's weird he's kind of a I mean he his business model he definitely um, sells stuff you know in the fine art world he'll sell prints um, but he he's kind of a periphery player like I'm not really in the quote-unquote art world at all I'm a commercial artist if you want to yeah. make that distinction he's like a fine artist yeah. um, but kind of as a periphery figure um, but because of the nature of his work like every time that he does a shoot there's like the world is aware of it for yeah. 24 hours like almost always depending on which country and where we go like the AP will pick up on it so it's on the ser wire services so it's like he's like blasted across the, the world for a day and then people may or may not forget about it but it's funny if you mention his name the brand recognition maybe not so much but if you follow it up with oh you know he's the guy that does, and they're like oh I know that exactly. guy like, it's 8 out of 10 people know who he is I was one yeah. of the 8 that just yeah. happened to me um, what photographers do you admire um, I, for me personally, I kind of built this project on the inspiration of, 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 of rock photography, you know, like people like Jim Marshall or Bob Gruen, he took like amazing photos of, of the Sex Pistols and beautiful portraits of, and pictures, intimate stuff of, of John Lennon and the stuff that you see, uh, like I just love all that backstage photo from the photos from the seventies, like Led Zeppelin and, and, and the Rolling Stones and, you know, and I, I I think what we talked about before, those pictures will kind of, they'll have a historical value to them because they tell a story as opposed to, you know, a portrait kind of sometimes gets stale over the years because the lighting trends change or the styling of the clothes change and it's not necessarily telling a story. So I love people that, that kind of take pictures with a news historical value, like Magnum photographers. Like I met 
Um, a friend of mine just got brought in um, and works for Life magazine, and I got to go to the Life archives in Jersey City and take this massive cold storage warehouse of like the entire Lifetime Life archive. And it's basically like it's run by this woman who's like in her 20s who is like an art student and like she has to just scramble to get budgets from the corporation to even like pay the bills to keep this but like it's so underutilized and it's like this building essentially like the to the beating soul of american history essentially and like it's so underutilized and we went in and it was almost so overwhelming like it would have been better if i did some research and said okay here's a topic and what do you have on it because it's so exhaustive but we just went into like a random like file cabinet and pulled out stuff and what's so amazing is that that each of those photographers in addition to just the incredible talent and access and scope of everything they captured they had to file like a like a photo brief with all with each of their projects so not only is there this amazing photography but there's like these really um, beautiful essays essentially like describing what they went through and what these pictures are and like it's 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 amazing i love stuff like that that is fascinating did you see that film that came out a year or two ago? Uh, I think it's called Life. It's about the photographer who traveled with James Dean, no. like on the last uh, film shoot he did before he died. Oh, amazing! Robin Pat Robert Pattinson is the photographer, and uh, or plays the photographer. It's really good. Oh, it's a fiction. Not a, oh, it's a it's a movie movie. Like it's a, a movie movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't see that. Like a scripted movie, yeah, but yeah. based on you know the actual events. Because I guess there was this life photo series that came out on J I think it might have come out after he passed away but obviously they shot it all like in that final kind of couple of weeks and um, so it's about their relationship as it develops while they're on the road together and uh, but it kind of is exactly what you just said you know it was, it's really fascinating I, there's also there's a new Peter Jackson documentary coming out have you seen that no. he's basically he took um, essentially it's a hundred year old world war one footage that's all like black and white and destroyed and grainy and colorized it but i remember they did that and ted turner did that in the 80s and mm -hmm. it looked horrible and it was extremely it was controversial so this is like colorization 2.0 but yeah. peter jackson his attention to historical accuracy is like renowned and you know legendary so they took this old photo this old footage and they actually sourced um, old costumes and old materials so that they could individually match like each of the color palettes and then they um, added Foley sound to the cannons and like restored it and like I mean it looks fantastic and I've seen ads for that on Instagram it now that amazing. you say it yeah. I just never really read and it looks so it humanizing about. too because yeah. I mean that was such a just horrifically ugly war but it's so easy to kind of look back and be like those are black and white people from 100 years those aren't real people those are the Dude, olden, olden times you know even, what I mean like, even watching I Love Lucy my brain cannot reconcile that their color was as vibrant as ours is here right now. Yeah, their blood was red, not gray. Exactly. You know, like, it's weird. Yeah. Your brain can't do it. It's so. weird. Um, what does your ideal work schedule look like? As a photographer who's kind of always shifting, trying to adapt to the market needs and technology and all that, what does it look like? I mean, I love the fact that still to this day my favorite part of photography is just that every day is different and you know like some people are always complaining like i'm a i'm a, when i am not working um i'm obsessed with checking my email it's almost it's like career roulette you know like you push mm -hmm. it like oh that's not the two cherries in a bell you know like oh three cherries but literally like most people like kind of loathe having to check their emails just because like oh i gotta put up this fire or whatever whereas like if i'm not working i don't really have any bad emails but um 
you know, it's unlikely or rare, but at any given point, I could click send, receive and get like a $10,000 email or whatever, you know, yeah. so I'm really, I love that aspect of it. And uh, just that every day is different. Like I just got back from this super random project. Um, there's this artist named um, Ra, gosh, I know, Ray Pruitt who I um, wasn't really that familiar with, but he did this branded collaboration with this Italian fashion company, made a blanket, you know, like a branded blanket. And so they shot this little video of him, quote unquote, like he was moving to Canada. It was the whole theme of it, of this video. So they hired me. They, <laughs> we had this whole production. They put this chair in the back of a rented 77 pickup truck, covered it with this branded blanket. And we literally drove to Canada like last week and like filmed it like very random, but it was like, it was great. And like, I, it's funny, ironically, I just flew him back from Vancouver the night before having family Thanksgiving and then um, woke up in the morning and drove to Canada, drove, literally drove to the border, couldn't go through because they wouldn't let us film. I mean, we knew that ahead of time, but then literally like you turned in front of like the crossing guard and then drove back to the States. But, That's so funny. You know, it's just fun getting to do every day is completely different. You know, I yeah. love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, when you look back at this kind of 10 years of imagery on the North shore, are there any moments that you missed? I mean, obviously, most of your memories are going to be attached to photos you've been looking at forever. But were there any moments that you just cringed having missed? Not so much. There was a there was a weird moment last year. Um, I'd shot John John a lot over the years. I got to shoot him um, a lot for Nixon because I worked with them and he was on their team. And I shot him for um, for a couple other brands. And then right, you know, after his first world titer, title, I think his access really changed not just for me but for everybody he just was like he wasn't just that kid that walked up and down on the north shore and people would like have you know high five he was like the world champion and and he was definitely um kind of sequestered a lot more and so I, there was a, a couple moments where i felt like i would have normally had access to him but i didn't that i was just like oh i really want that but um i did some I did some beg borrowing and stealing, and I think I got some pretty amazing shots in the end. But there was some ones that was one that was one of the few times where I'm like, ah, oh, really? I feel like I would have had normally had that access, but the, the tides had shift. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, when I think about images I've seen of yours from the North Shore, it feels like you have access to almost everybody. I mean, from the Wolf Pack to Slater to John John and Julian Schnabel. It's kind of it's grown over the years. I mean, I definitely like to think. You know, over I caught my stride a couple years in, but like each year, you know, I'd add like a new house to my repertoire. So like, you know, like literally my first year, um, like, which was you know back then was probably like the biggest lion's den of them all. But like my first kind of entree was to the Volcom house. Like Troy Eckert brought me over, introduced me to Kai, and was like, okay, here's blah blah blah. And so like I had access access to that. But I mean, I I still remember sitting like on the sand, looking up at like you know Jamie O'Brien's house, or looking up at Mick Fanning at the Rip Curl house, being like, oh, what goes on up there? But I mean, in a way, it's a good thing. It speaks to me. Um, in the same sense, I like to put myself in that twelve-year-old's perspective of like, oh, what did my what's my favorite rock star doing backstage? You know, it just made me that much more thirsty to figure out a way to like get into that house. You know, yeah. And so, and for the most part, I was was able to largely with. I mean, I think one of my the my main tricks not a trick, but I uh, every year I go over. I have a five by seven box of like signed prints that I give to people that I shot the year before, and it's it just it's, it adds a lot of 
um, incentive for me to be able to like walk up on someone's lawn. And so my first interaction when I see somebody that I hadn't seen for 12 months is me giving them something rather than me like asking them for something, you know? And so I think that's an image of themselves. It's an image of themselves. And sometimes, you know, a lot of the people I know and a lot of people, they may not necessarily know me or know that I took that picture, but I'll just go up and say, Hey, you know what? I just want to say, thanks. I brought this for you. And they're just like kind of kind of blown away, you know, especially because there's a thousand and one photographers over there, but everybody is like, oh, I got this amazing picture of you. And they show you like the back of their phone or their camera. And like no one ever really touches physical prints anymore. And so to be able to like say, hey, you know what? I know you're inviting me onto your the lawn of your house and I'm a guest and here yeah, I bought this for you instead of like walking up and putting a camera in their face you know and, yeah. the, and I think it kind of speaks to speaks to the the nature of like the Hawaiian culture over there like they're, just, they're, they're very warm people they're full of, you know like the aloha spirit but at the same time like be respectful you know yeah. so that's my way of being respectful it's a great it's a great little um method but I could also imagine a lot of people don't know what you look like because we've all seen images of Todd Glazer and Steve Sherman or whomever that have been interviewed by a bunch of different surf publications. But, um, I can't think of any where I've seen images of you. Yeah. I like to kind of, I like to be, to kind of keep behind the scenes. I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm secretive per se, but I mean, if you look at my Instagram, like I, I don't think there's a single picture of me. I definitely don't do the selfie thing. And it's just like, it's not about me, you know, like, you know, I think, that's just because I'm coming from a perspective of like, I mean, this is a business and this is my job and this is what I'm doing. You know, if you're like, if you're a, a a roadie for a band, you don't like try and bum rush the stage during the concert. You know, it's like stay in your lane. Like I'm here, and at the end of the day, like I, I'm, I would much rather have an iconic shot, or at least, you know, whatever, something that means a lot to me, yeah. than to like fan out and like go party with Kelly for the night. Totally, you know. That's and then, then a lot, it's a different, it's a different perspective. A lot of people are maybe be the opposite, but at the end of the day, like. You know, I'll be like, oh, I hung out with Kelly and we got drunk. Like, yeah, whatever. I have pictures of him and, you know, Shane Dorian and his son, like, laughing. Like, yeah. that's more important to me. Yeah. yeah. It's more lasting. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of access, is there anybody who you would love to get kind of quality time with? That's a good question. I feel I've been really fortunate. I think most of the people that uh, that are really have been extremely intrigued by, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with. Um Jordy's pretty. Jordy's pretty elusive. I've, I don't. It's funny for as much presence and stature he has, you know, like in terms of surfing on the North Shore in the last ten years. I'd probably have the least amount of photos in terms of marquee names of him. Not that he's that secretive. It's just like a lot of it's just a product of circumstance, you know. And, and I think in, when the book comes out, I'm going to make sure that that's really clear too. That this isn't like my definition of who's important on the North Shore. It's circumstantially these are the people that I've had access to, like. Mm-hmm you know thankfully like i think it's a pretty wide range but there's definitely people that have kind of fallen through the cracks you know yeah i could see jordy circumstantially like he's probably the only guy on the ct who's on o'neill so it's not like there's a huge congregation in that community and then um yeah and then south africa is not a huge contingent either so yeah i mean i guess gabe i I, i've actually 
kind of peripherally been able to shoot pictures of him more so just because of my relationship with Mick Fanning. And so they all they, they stay in the same house. So Mick is just a warm, wonderful person. And so I kind of access, have access to the house because of that. And Gabe's kind of been in the background. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do my old trick. Like I'll, I'll definitely bring some photos of, of Gabe and, you know, cut some pretty amazing photos of him and his family, like the year that he won the title. And so, you know, I have a little bit of a relationship, but he's pretty reclusive too. You know, I think that's a product of just his his champion mindset and also just like i don't want to say antagonism but he's not maybe not the most popular person on the north shore in terms of like just wanting to be up in the mix you know yeah. he definitely keeps to himself so some of the most interesting when i look at in terms of access and this whole conversation when i look at it from the podcast sphere i want the interviews with the periphery people like my kind of hit list would be john john's mom like mom john you know, Kalani Miller, Kelly's girlfriend, Andy and Bruce's parents would That's be a well. phenomenal one. You that know, is, like yeah. those people are kind of more interesting stories because, I mean, Kelly's been interviewed a million times. For sure. And John John's been interviewed a million times. But Mom John, her role is so important. And, it, you know, and it's funny you brought her up. Like I have met her at least a dozen times. I've been in their house. I've been like she I, I'd like to think that she knows who I am, but like she's definitely you know and i brought her photos too like of her and john like oh i just want to say it and she's just not very warm to me i don't know if that's just a matter of her personality i mean i i I, part of me doesn't find doesn't take any offense to it just because i i know that she just best you know like she has had to create this like insular world to i mean she's raised amazing children you know i mean and that's just undeniable john john's just like so many opportunities for him to have like gone off the rail and he never once had no scandal no no drugs no he's just like he's a good person he's focused and so you know kudos to her for that and yeah. i think as a as a product you have to kind of maybe create a certain environment around yourself but yeah it's funny you brought her up because she's one she's definitely i don't have much of a relationship with her that's it's funny. funny yeah and i wouldn't expect her to be warm i mean i would expect her to be a good person and warm to her friends and all that sort of stuff but as a surf photographer being there i wouldn't expect her to be warm to you because of the things you just said yeah it's like dude you're transient like i have so many people coming by True. who want all of our attention and everybody wants something and yeah. it's like don't worry i don't want anything from you but she nah, doesn't know I, that yeah. no exactly Interesting, but you know, um, ironically, same thing with like Lindy on, on the on the flip side. Like she is so warm, and really? like, Yeah, like always invite me up, and like um, you know, on her she's she's with with Pat from Ruka now. Like he's great. They're very very gracious, and I was oh come on, can I get you a drink? And like um, they've always been incredibly warm. So yeah. Um, what's your current relationship like with surfing? You obviously, um, uh, especially I've, when you're in Hawaii, do you even bring a board? I, I mean, definitely don't bring a board, at least for the last couple of years, just because it's just like I'm traveling alone and the expense of it and... Uh, and the hassle. And the hassle of it. That's and it's happening. like, I think, honestly, I'm going to take some time for myself to actually surf this year because usually what happens when I always intend to do that and then it's just like either it's flat and garbage and there's nobody around and there's no pictures anyway and I'm just like oh when's this gonna go down or it's like I'll be like okay tomorrow's my day and then I'll wake up and it'll be like 12 feet I'm like I'm not gonna yeah that's that's above (laughs) my my like pay grade you know or the third element is that like it's a beautiful fun little like kind of rippable day like for my skill level but I'm just in the back of my mind I always like dude am I missing a shot like what's what's John John doing today if he's not you know it's small it's small he's not surfing what's he doing you know so it's hard 
if you're there for work, just work. And it's expen you know, it's like especially this year in particular, like it's just like there's I don't have that much going on. I'm really just going to kind of, you know, put a bow on this project and see what the next chapter is. So it's like it's you know, it's expensive. You yeah. know, so I wanna like try and make something of it you know what's your relationship like with surfing here at home this has been a tough season for me just because like i have a son he's he's turning three um you know in a couple weeks and it's just really hard rockaway is i I liken being a surfer in rockaway of like being a fan of a really shitty sports team you know (laughs) it's just like you're always like oh come on i love you but seriously you know and like in the summertime, um, it's just it's rarely that good unless there's like a proper early hurricane swell in August, you know. Like, and the the problem is is that the the forecasting is really bad on the East Coast in terms of like, you could tell what the forecast is. It's always like, oh, you know, two to four feet at five seconds with light on shores, and it's like at any time of the day it might be okay, and most of the times of the day it's crappy. And in order to really like get those windows, you have to like live, live in Rockaway. And like, I, you know, I have a bungalow out there and like a lot of my close friends live there full time, but it's like, it's hard to do strike missions. Yeah. And you have this like evil Venn diagram of like work and my son's schedule and my wife's schedule and tides and winds and it, it's really difficult, you know, so. Do you uh, miss surfing? And I do. I feel like I almost I'm on the verge of falling out of love with it. Really? Just because I, I haven't been in the water since like October, and it's just like um, I'm, I'm looking forward to just just even like being in Hawaii, even if I don't surf, just like sitting at Rocky Point and putting my feet in the water and just being a part of that environment is what I think at the end of the day drew everyone to surf for the first time because before you were a surfer you still put your foot in the water and like wanted to be a part of the ocean you know i think you yeah know? so yeah I, I i definitely am really um looking forward to to getting some time because it's, it's been a it's been a it's been a tough fall i haven't gotten to be in the water much yeah i um i struggle with everything that you're talking about and like and then i talk to people who are very actualized about it and can kind of let it empower them and they haven't surfed for a long time maybe because of an injury or whatever but it's like it still fuels their life and they have this kind of light at the end of the tunnel that they're looking for and because of that they're tightening up their diet or whatever and it's like they're living a better life knowing that surfing is down the pike and then other people who they haven't surfed in a week and they're miserable for the entire week that they didn't surf you know they're the opposite end of the spectrum so i you and I both have real life obligations. And so I try not to let those things diminish my joy of surfing and try to just look forward to surfing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous in some way, like my wife is, uh, you know, she does yoga and she does a lot of Pilates and both of those activities are two blocks from the house and they're predetermined by a schedule. And it's very easy if you want to make it a priority to make that a priority, you know, she can dip out and like do an hour class and be back in an hour and 10 minutes, you know, whereas like, I don't know, I like in trying to surf here. It's like, imagine if you're, you know, like, up, you loved bowling, for instance, and you showed up to the bowling lane, you took time off of your work, you go with your, and you get there, they're like, oh, sorry, the, the lanes are closed. Like, what? When are they opening? I don't know. I heard maybe next week, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's hard, man. Yeah, it is. 
It is, but that's the joy in it too, you know? It is. I mean, I think that kind of speaks to, I mean, you guys have talked about it ad nauseum, like the whole surf park thing versus like surfing in the ocean. But it's like, I mean, I guess the way that I characterize it is like surfing in the ocean is like, you know, you go out, you you, you put on like a cool outfit and you go to a party and like, oh, maybe there'll be a girl. Oh, that girl's cute. I'll go talk to her. And like, oh, maybe she's, I made her laugh. Well, I got her number. Oh, we're going to go, go out for a date. And oh, you know, know, the date's going good. Oh, I'm going to kiss her. And then like, and then you end up like spending the night and sleeping with her, you know, like that's surfing. And then a wave park is like getting a hand job from a hot stripper you know <laughs> it's just like it basically cuts to everything that you really really want in the end but somehow it just diminishes it and you know yeah i don't know it's, that, it's, it's, it's strange it's a different version of an email i got from drummer dave i don't know if you remember i read it to Chaz on air one time mm. it was like said essentially the same thing which was i'd rather like work hard to earn a six at the bar like go to the bar and find <laughs> yeah, yeah. a six and like pick her up and take her home and like wh- and hit a home run then pay for a 10 yeah. at the strip at you know the whole house it's funny but on the same token though i think a lot of people you know you romanticize the the notion of going on a surf trip um if you've ever been skunked you know like in retrospect it might be like oh you know it's about the the, the journey not the destination and we laughed and we had a good time like yeah that's great in in looking back upon it but like while it's happening you're like sucks dude. You took money off of maybe you have a finite amount of like yeah. time or money and you're like yeah it sucks so on that hand you know the the stripper hand job would come <laughs> handy you know they all serve a purpose why can't you have both huh? yeah i think you, i mean i think ultimately you can i think they're gonna learn they're gonna coincide by each other you know next to each other um in terms of a, a viewer experience that might be a different yeah different thing but. yeah completely um do you ever see yourself living outside of new york yeah, I think you know it's funny. Um, the gravitational pull for me has 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 been back to California for a really? long time. I think you know I, I moved t- to Manhattan, and it's funny now. Brooklyn is like a whole thing. People come to New York and go just to Brooklyn or whatever. But ten, fifteen, whatever, how many years ago? Like I was super snotty. I was like, I'm not going to live in Brooklyn. I moved yeah. from California to live in Brooklyn. No way, Manhattan. You know, and so Manhattan just holds like such a dear, special place in my heart. But you know, the East Coast as a whole. I don't really like have much attachment to it you know like we were talking before like i haven't traveled that much on the east coast like i did my heart's still in california and more importantly my my family's still out there and my wife's family's in vancouver on the west coast so i mean i definitely feel that pull towards it but at the same time in terms of being able to raise a kid in new york city like we're we're pretty dialed like i'm just so fortunate to have you know this amount of space for new york city and like an empire view empire state view and like my 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 son's school is a block away and he has friends in the building and we have a private park in the back and so in terms of like new york living like it'd be hard to top this even in california you know Mm. so i think eventually i think once he's in like school school we might have to make some tough decisions but for now just i guess try and make it out there to visit as much as possible yeah yeah it's tough i'm spending all this time on the east coast it's uh opened my eyes to all the different ways there are to live and there's a lot of good options man. Yeah. i mean i guess that's a good thing is there's a lot of good options they're not all bad um but it makes you feel a lot of pressure when you're trying to commit to that next phase whether it's buying property or raising kids or whatever because yeah. it's like dude some of these small towns in North Carolina are freaking amazing and you have yeah. a ton of land and everybody gets to stay and play outside and you have beautiful seasons every season and there's great food and it's, it's inexpensive. It's and- true. I mean, and I feel like I didn't, I didn't 
had zero roots or any reason to stay and I've been here for 20 yeah. plus years but ironically I feel like it was a lot more it was a lot less intimidating moving to New York City as like a dumb 18 year old than like moving out of New York City as like a grown man you know like I have I have spoons and furniture and stuff you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I have like things like just the, the logistics of moving across the nation like that alone is just seems ominous so I feel like there's a couple places too that would be super hard to move back into like if you left Manhattan yeah. and sold your place how would you ever get no, back into Manhattan? No, I think that's that's you know? part of that's part of that of that paradigm too. Is like once I leave, I'm not going to move back to New York when I'm 50. Right. You know, like it's like once I leave, it's like that's I love you. Doors closed. You know, and that's so, hard. It's that's hard. A tough decision yeah. to make. Um, you know, final question for everybody is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? I know it was October. Um, I just had a I had a new board shaped. Um, it was basically came a little late. Um, you know, shapers are. <laughs> it would have been a good summer board, but it was a. Uh, it was just like a a, a seven two. It's called an experience. So no, this is just going out to use Chaz. Get on the egg, Chaz. Get on the egg, dude. Seriously, um, it's like it. a it's like a pull tailed egg, single fin, seven two, like super fun. Um, there's just really a pretty amazing shaper. Kind of came out of nowhere and just like really took over in Rockaway. Um, Paul Schmidt, he goes by Paul Surf, makes beautiful boards and uh more than anything he, he he shapes and glasses himself which is incredibly rare he's like a great craftsman so it's just got like a got a um, volan deck on the top and like cool pinstripe that i designed on the bottom like just simple simple summer board dude totally coincidentally or maybe not but he just followed me on instagram this oh morning. no way so yeah and i've seen his work in the past and stuff but um that's so funny. I think it's because the guys at Swell Season tagged me in something, and I'm sure he knows them or follows them. Yeah, it's pretty. It's funny too because I feel like most shapers kind of have their lane of what they focus on. Like his boards, it's kind of all over the place. There's a lot of longboards just because it speaks to the waves in Rockaway. Right. But I mean, he makes like fun little fishes, and he surfs. He's super stylish. Surfs really well, so that yeah. that helps. That definitely helps. Right on, Justin J. All right, thank you. Always a pleasure. Always. hi1k.com is the website where you can pre-order the book. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Justin's work and eager to get my hands on this. I saw the PDF version and the art direction is stunning and amazing. So I've pre-ordered mine. And uh, again, that pre-order process is actually highly important for the publisher. So don't put it off and assume that you'll be able to buy it during the holidays or whatever. Just pre-order now. That helps them predict costs It keeps uh, waste low, so it's just a better way to run the business as a whole. Um, I've pre-ordered three with the intention of gifting two during the holidays. So hi1k.com is the website. Follow Justin on Instagram at justinjphoto, and I've posted his previous episode on Surf Splendor in your show notes. Me being in New York to record this episode was partially due to Spy's support of this podcast, spyoptic.com, for your sunglasses or snow goggle needs. 
They do prescription lenses as well. And when you use our promo code podcast in the month of June, you'll get a free t-shirt, Surf Splendor sunglass pouch, and a year-long membership to the Surf Rider Foundation. I'll process all of those memberships at the end of June and then just send you an email confirmation. So spyoptic.com, promo code podcast. By the way, make sure you add the t-shirt to your cart and then the promo code podcast will cancel out the cost. So thank you for your ongoing support. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.